The government shutdown is now a month long. What's the role of the people of the church? Pro-life supporters flooded Washington last week, and locally, one of our own churches is wrapping up a major project. All this and more on this edition of A View from the Top with Bishop Gregory Parks. Bishop, it's good to see you. Great to be with you once again, John. Boy, before we get into all that, it's a big football weekend. <laughs> sure is coming up. Uh, Super Bowl in just about a week or so, and um, some good teams playing, so I'm looking forward to it. Of course, uh, I wish that the Buccaneers were in the Super Bowl, but not this year. Of course, uh, you know we just hired a new coach and some new coaches for the coaching staff, and so I guess there's renewed hope for next year. Hope is the key word. Hope and Bruce Arians and the Bucks and... Uh, a lot of controversy in New Orleans, too, with that whole situation. Yeah, that was unfortunate. I think everybody except, obviously, the uh, the referee who was supposed to call that play, <laughs> that pass interference, saw it. You know, that's uh, judgment and, obviously, human error. Unfortunately, it probably cost New Orleans a trip to the Super Bowl. Well, and, you know, with whoever goes to the Super Bowl, there's always seems to be controversy about who's even going to go to the White House. A lot of things going on in Washington, speaking of the White House, this past uh, weekend or last week, with the March for Life. A lot of people converged on the Capitol grounds and uh, around to show their support for uh, human life. Yeah, what a, what a great witness, John, uh, each year to see so many people, and particularly young people. I mean, I'm talking teenagers and young adults, people of all ages, converging on Washington for the annual March for Life. Estimates, again, this year were in the hundreds of thousands, perhaps half a million, that marched for life this year. What a great witness that is to our, our, our belief in the sanctity of every human life, but particularly life in the womb at its most vulnerable stage. And since that life has no one to advocate for it except for us, that's why we do it, is to advocate for the unborn who have no voice. And part of it is also, I think, Bishop, to continue to get that word out, because if it just falls by the wayside, especially in the news cycle that we live in, where things are here and then they're gone tomorrow, we forget about the issues. But this is an annual event that really has gained momentum, especially now with some changes to the Supreme Court. That's true. And, you know, I heard a, um, a comment on the March for Life, which I thought was interesting. And someone was saying that when you think about it, the March for Life is the only march in Washington where those that are there to participate are not marching for themselves, but rather marching on behalf of another, in this case, the unborn. And I think that says a lot about our faith and about the intention of those who go there it is truly seeking to make a difference. And I think numbers and polls, at least anecdotally, seems to indicate that we are trying at least to turn that corner here in our country where we will embrace a greater respect for human life. Hopefully this will be an issue that will come before the Supreme Court and um, there could be a, uh, an opportunity for it to be overturned. Now, some situations took place. Uh, outside of the march, but that involves some people, the, uh, I think a Catholic high school in Kentucky. It's been all over the news. Everybody probably knows what I'm talking about. And when you have these kind of gatherings, other groups like to come in. And we quickly saw a shift that within a 36-hour time frame of when video first surfaced of a protest, some groups uh, got involved that maybe shouldn't have, things were said, and there was a quick rush to judgment on all circles. Yeah, boy, isn't that true? You know, if there was ever anything which shows us we shouldn't make a rash judgment or rush to judgment, it was this situation with the students from Covington Catholic High School in Kentucky 
who had gone to Washington for the March for Life. And um, <laughs> boy, they encountered a, a whole different issue um, while they were there. But it does teach us that we should try to be fair and we shouldn't make rash judgments, that we should try to look at all the facts, consider all the different positions before making a judgment in a particular situation. This is still being resolved and who knows, there may be additional or more information that comes out at this point. But what we've seen so far would indicate at least that the students were not there to provoke anyone. It seems like there's a, there's a lack of editorial control, not only just with ourselves of hitting the on and off button on our video recorders, all the way up the chain to what we would consider to be respectable news organizations. Yeah, you know, and, and, and we live in this age where everything is uh, recorded, you know. I mean, all somebody has to do is take out their cell phone, their smartphone, and start recording. And then next thing you know, it's going viral on social media. Uh, in this case, this uh, altercation or interaction that they had lasted, I, I think, well over an hour and a half. But we just saw a little small snippet uh, of what happened and that's what caused all the controversy. So it is a lesson for us to be careful and also to remember you never know who's, uh, who's watching or recording us. Let me ask you this. Now, this is a, based on a, more of a local spin. Bishop of Covington, diocese up there is having to go through this kind of thing. What's the typical protocol for an event like this to where the school's office would be involved, the local school would be involved, even the communications office and the and the bishop there has gotten involved with this the i think one of the things we can learn is is to really investigate as you said a moment ago so i i think the important thing is uh, immediately to acknowledge the situation but um not to make a judgment and even in this case as you probably know the school the uh, diocese the bishop in covington as well as other bishops in the state of kentucky were very quick to condemn the actions of the students only to have to reverse those uh, at a later point. So from a communication standpoint, you want to issue a statement that you're aware of the situation, that you'll be conducting a full investigation into it, and that you are not prepared to make any judgment or further statement until that is completed. And that is hard because it's one thing back in the day, I say back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, before we, everybody had these recorders, you just went on word of mouth on what was seen and eyewitnesses. Now we have recorders and and you have to wait i guess until everything comes in and you don't know how long that's going to be yeah and and clearly you can uh, alter or use a small little uh, video sample to your advantage right you can spin it in any way that you want uh, even in ways that are not just or accurate fake news as they call it that's that's right well uh speaking of that um not so much fake news it's real and it's really hurting the pocketbooks of a lot of federal workers. The government shutdown is still going on. What's the church's role in this at all, or do we have a role? Well, the issues that are being discussed are certainly issues that the church is very interested in, namely issues regarding immigrants and the border, you know, allowing individuals to legally enter our country who are seeking uh, asylum or seeking a better way of life or fleeing violence or persecution. Unfortunately, in this case, border security and the wall or uh, fence or whatever you want to call it has kind of been placed at the center of this issue. The unfortunate issue is that many people, in fact, 800,000 workers 
uh, are kind of caught in a difficult situation in that they're being furloughed, they're being asked to work without pay, and in a certain sense, they're being used as pawns. We always talk as a church about immigrants being used as pawns in this political discussion. And we try as a church to advocate on behalf of the less fortunate of the immigrants. But in this case, it's, it's federal workers who are being used as pawns. I think the church, obviously we pray for a quick resolution, but also for a just resolution in this matter. Would this be a, a situation where we would need to contact our legislators and advocate what we feel? And does that does that really help? Well, you know, that that's always something we can do. I mean, after all, we elected them. They work for us. So we have a right and a responsibility to let them know how we feel. So there would be an opportunity to contact our uh, senators, our congresspeople, to express to them how we feel, you know, as far as getting the government reopened, as far as these border issues, the wall, uh, border security. That is a good thing that we can do and, and something very positive and productive. On the other side of the coin for the employees, we, we just saw the end of a Los Angeles teacher strike. And I would imagine there's a lot of Catholics that are mm-hmm. teachers out there uh, that went on strike. And that left a lot of parents, a lot of students out in the cold. What is the church's teaching on striking? Well, conducting a strike or protesting, uh, these are certainly our rights, and the church respects that. Obviously, it would depend on the issue that's being put forth. In these cases, though, um, you know, the, the individuals are the ones who are really suffering. And we see now, even with the federal workers, how many of them are living paycheck to paycheck. And when that check doesn't come in, they're looking for help. They're looking for assistance. They're going to food banks. You know, they're looking for financial assistance. They're asking creditors to to help them and to work with them. But the church would say, it certainly, I mean, that's a right that we have to protest or to, to strike for a cause that we believe is just and in our interest. We typically don't uh, promote that type of activity just because we in many ways, try to keep a distance in the political realm. I mean, we speak up when it involves our faith, but we try not to uh, to publicly, anyway, from the right. pulpit, preach about politics. Not too long ago, I saw a documentary on the papacy, and one of your uh, heroes, I'll say, I've seen your picture with him on the wall, is Pope John Paul II. And he was big, although maybe not directly so, but history shows that he was big in the solidarity movement in Poland back in the in the late 70s, early 80s. Yeah, he sure was. I mean, in fact, uh, I think it's fair to say that he played a major role, if not the major role, in uh, overturning uh, communism, you know, in Poland. But again, you were talking about human rights issues and violations there, so that would touch upon the teachings of our faith with which, re, in regard to protecting and promoting human dignity. He took a very, very public and active role in that and was successful in bringing about change. Locally here, a neighbor to Spirit FM, Christ King Catholic Church, just went through a big renovation, and uh, you had the opportunity to go over there last weekend. I did. What a what a day of joy to go to Christ the King, which is on uh, South Del Mabry in South Tampa, to bless their expanded sanctuary. They increased the size of the sanctuary by several hundred seats, as well as adding a beautiful new narthex or lobby gathering area, some new restrooms, 
new confessionals, John. Uh oh. So they're ready and waiting for those <laughs> who want to come. Waiting for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, a very, very nice outdoor courtyard gathering space. They also added some beautiful uh, statues and images as well. So um, I'd encourage our listeners if they're going by that area, again, it's uh, right next to Spirit FM on South Del Mabry, to stop by and to, to see the beautiful improvements that were just completed there. A church that you're very much familiar with because part of your vocation was in a roundabout way formed there. Yeah, it sure was. I I share often, especially in my vocation story, that really I, I feel that I finally heard God's voice while praying in the chapel there at Christ the King. I would spend periods of time in prayer asking God what he was calling me to do with my life, and uh, though I had been discerning for quite a while, I feel that I finally heard his voice in a, a very real and definitive way at that time. I want to spin this sort of into a, a teaching moment here. Uh, you had mentioned that in, in the church there are a few images or statues that are there. And for our non-Catholic brothers and sisters who might say, well, Catholics worship statues and that kind of thing, what's the church's teaching on that? Sure, that's a that's a great question. In fact, we bless the new statues because we consider them to be holy or, or sacred because they're dedicated to our faith and, and to the Lord. But statues, we don't, we don't worship the actual statue or the mosaic or the painting, but they're aids or they assist us in our own spiritual lives to grow in holiness and in virtue. So when we look at a statue of a particular saint, we can meditate upon the life of that saint and pray through the intercession of that saint that we might also have that virtue, uh, that they excel that in their life and in their journey in this world. So there helps to us just, it'd be kind of like, um, you know, you look at a picture of your grandparents. You know, it's not them, it's an image of them, but yet it evokes feeling within you and perhaps even helps you to grow in your affection for them and your love for them. Another question that came up, churches these days, when parishes are built, I know there's an architectural review committee and so forth. Are they built for, number one purpose obviously is worship, but does sound and usability and functionality, I've heard two sides of the story. One, it should be a multi-purpose place so we can do a lot of things with it, and others, you know, and then there's a budget issue. How, How does all that come about, and how do you discern that? Yeah, when at least uh, in our diocese, uh, since I've been the bishop here, when a parish needs to or would like to build something, they don't just do it. Uh, It's required that they seek permission from the bishop, so from myself, to be able to undertake that project. And then particularly if there's financing involved, if they need a loan of some sort, that also has to be granted. I take a particular interest in church architecture and in the planning, the design of churches. And so I always want to see the plans. I want to see the elevations of what it's going to look like. I always look for those practical things like, you know, what's the communion flow going to be like during Mass when people come forward to receive the Eucharist? Is it going to be smooth or are people going to be all bunched up in one area? Where's the tabernacle located? Where's the baptismal font located? All of those things, you know, go into 
the final design. So I play a very active role as a bishop. I, I think some bishops probably delegate that to others, and we certainly have a very competent construction and building office here at the Pastoral Center, and they're very involved with the, the process as well. Uh, but we do put a lot of thought into it. We try to engage subcontractors, so for example, sound engineers and design people to help us and assist us with making those decisions. Yeah, I know sound can be very important because you might be able to see Father up at the at the altar, but when they can't get the sound back to where you're sitting, that can be very frustrating, especially when you've got sanctuaries with a lot of hard surfaces and marble and so forth. You know, John, I, I have a saying that there's four things which really affect liturgy when we gather as a community of faith, and one is poor sound. If you can't hear or understand what's being said, that's a problem. The other is bad air conditioning. That, <laughs> if uh, true, here, here in Florida, Florida you know, if you're, if you're uncomfortable, then that's an issue because all you're thinking about is how hot you are. The other is, um, is music. You know, if music is particularly one style as opposed to another or is not performed very well, that can also be a, a problem. And then finally, John, and hopefully our listeners can't relate to this too much, but it would be bad preaching. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, so <laughs> homilies or sermons or preaching that is not uh, helpful or, or sound is also problematic in our, in our worship. Do you get letters about those things as I, a bishop? Do you get notes? John, I, I get letters about everything, really? <laughs> not just preaching, but things that happen at the parish, things that happen in the office and schools uh, and in the parking lot and oh, on wow. the phone. And uh, so, no, I get, I get a variety of letters from individuals. And, you know, to be honest, uh, I mean, everybody hopes to get good, positive mail and feedback. But the people that write it, for the most part, they're they're very faithful, and um, the reason they're writing is because they love their faith, and they, they love their church. They care, and they want to see it be the best that they can be. So I, I do receive them, and I always would send a letter of acknowledgement, and that typically I will look into the situation, whatever it is that they're describing. So. I do get those letters. Okay. If you have a praise report, you can also send that as well. Always good to get uh, a positive letter or feedback on our priests or parish staff or somebody. That's great. That's right. Another construction project just wrapped up is is right next door to this office at the Pastoral Center. That's over at St. Petersburg Catholic High School. We just completed a, a large project right at the beginning of last semester, and that was to completely renovate two of the classroom buildings that had not been touched, John in I think 50 or 60 years, probably since they were constructed. And so, um, and that was when the high school was known as Bishop Barry High School. It was an all boys school. Uh, So they were in desperate need of of, of updating and and, and renovation. And thanks to a very generous gift by a a benefactor, um, Mr. Paul Riley and his wife Rose gave a leadership gift of a million dollars to help make that a reality. So we just did bless that new work at St. Pete Catholic High School and I have to say it's beautiful. When I went into the classrooms, they didn't look like any classroom that I used to study in. Oh, is there still chalk in there? Uh, no, there's no chalk. They have they have whiteboards uh, now. And you're and not out there beating the racers. Uh, no, and all kinds of technology. I I did uh, actually sit in one of the desks just to make sure I could fit. Oh, and yeah. I'm happy to report that I was able to fit well, at the desk. You know, they've got some big football players <laughs> over there too. Some big boys. That's, <laughs> that's right. right. 
Well, you know, I think it's a great way to segue into Catholic Schools Week, which is uh, starting next week. We've got some tremendous schools, not only if you want to find out more about the, the great things going on at St. Petersburg Catholic High School, but if you just uh, type in the search bar any of the local Catholic schools, you can find out about what's going on in our local community. And it's a big deal for the kids uh, when Catholic Schools Week comes around because there's a lot of things going on. Oh, they, the, the students have a great time during Catholic Schools Week with a lot of fun activities, but at the heart of it, it's really celebrating a gift that we have in Catholic education. When I first came to our diocese now over two years ago, in my listening tour that I embarked upon, something I heard over and over again was how good our Catholic schools are, that we do provide a good quality Catholic education, and that it is something that we need to continue to offer as we go forward. So it is something for us to celebrate. We have a a good number of students that attend our Catholic schools that are not Catholic. And I like to think that's because we not only put forth a a good educational product, but also a very good and loving, supportive environment, respectful, where we teach our students values that will serve them well in life, you know, as they become productive citizens. And uh, it's something we need to continue to do. And that's why we, you know, the project at St. Pete Catholic is so important, is to make sure we continue that tradition of excellence by providing our students with the tools and the learning environment that will help them to excel. But that costs money. And a lot of people would would say, I can't afford to send my kids to school. And that's why the diocese has created a foundation called the Catholic Foundation. And they're having a big fundraiser here. I believe it's February 2nd at the uh, Hilton downtown Tampa. A lot of people get involved to raise money to help supplement some of the uh, tuition assistance for the kids that uh, really desire an education. Yeah, so our, our foundation or our gala is our big fundraiser for Catholic education for tuition assistance. So in addition to any uh, state-sponsored uh, scholarship or grant programs that might be available to provide assistance to families, We as a diocese raise money to help with tuition assistance. And um, we're very blessed uh, on an annual basis now to raise, I think last year it was over $300,000 to assist families who have that desire to provide their child with a quality Catholic education, but just need a little bit of help. So it's uh, certainly a worthy cause. And I would invite our listeners, if they haven't done so already, to, to please consider coming to our gala on February 2nd. You can find information on our website, and or if you're not able to attend, you know, please consider making a donation to our Catholic schools for tuition assistance. You can also go to catholicfoundation.org, but a lot of ways that you can get involved in, in helping out the students who do desire a Catholic education. Bishop, before we close out today, I want to remind our listeners that you can hear this program again, as well as many others, by going to the diocesan website at dosp.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast and have it sent directly to your smartphone each week that we post something. Just go to the App Store or uh, for your Android or Apple and key in a view from the top or just type in Bishop Parks, Bishop Gregory Parks. Any of those will take you to where you need to be. And you can also follow Bishop Parks on his travels around the diocese by going to at Bishop Parks. You can do that on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. He's everywhere. It's award-winning. And uh, you'll be able to hear the information before I can bring it to you uh, on these programs. Uh, Bishop, it's always a a joy and a pleasure to be with you during these recording sessions. And uh, would you be so kind as to close out with a prayer for our listeners and a blessing? Sure. 
So God, our Father, we are grateful for the many, many blessings that you bestow on us in this life. We ask for your continued guidance in our lives that we may walk the path that you have set before us, that we may be your love, your mercy, your peace in the world, and to all those whom we encounter in our daily lives. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit descend upon you and remain with you always. Amen. Amen.